Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Wise Athletes Podcast. I am Joe Lavelle with Dr. Glenn Winkle, and this is episode two of our podcast. Today we will discuss in detail the mystery of why recovery from exercise is so hard to do right and why it is so important for the older athlete who strives to become faster, stronger, better. The recovery topic goes very deep. We'll touch on all the major points today and we'll return for a few in-depth technical discussions very soon. Thanks for tuning in. Glenn and I hope you find this information helpful in your quest to become a wise athlete. Glenn, how are you doing today? Great, Joe. It's good to hear your voice again. I've been anxiously awaiting our podcast about recovery. That's always a good topic to talk about when it comes to sports, let me tell you. There is so much bad information out there. It's amazing. I mean, and a lot of it is my bad information. I, I wish I understood it better. I, the things that I know, what little that is, I've learned from just making mistake after mistake. You know, I think that's probably the best way we all learn. We all learn by making mistakes and then figuring out what we did wrong. And I guess um, after all these erasing, I made, I made all the mistakes. I think I made every single one of them. So I can talk from experience about how to fix them and how not to do them in the first place. Although I'm sure our listener audience will probably make all the same mistakes anyway, but at least they'll know how to get there faster. You know, I thought we'd start off today talking about recovery by starting off with a just why is it so hard to get recovery right? Why does everybody seem to do it wrong? I mean, I'm not talking about pros who have full-time coaches and, you know, every biometric aid known to mankind. You know, just regular people just don't seem to be able to do it exactly right. Why, why is it so complicated? Well, I think because, you know, people don't realize how complex the field of recovery is. It's not just a simple like, well, take a rest day kind of thing. It's more complex than what's happening inside your body, what's happening to your immune system, how about your nutrition, your diet, your sleep. All these aspects are part of recovery. And if you don't have the a good program together to support your recovery, you're not going to recover from exercise. I mean, it's so important. It's the flip side of exercise. If you're going to get stronger and become a better athlete, you have to understand recovery and you must understand it well. Well, and I think that there are other things involved in it that, you know, send people down the wrong path. So it's not a matter of they don't know and they try this and it doesn't work and then they try that and it works and now they know what to do. They think they know it and they try the wrong thing and it doesn't have the negative effect that's so easy to tell is negative right away. So they don't even know that they're doing it wrong. So it's just this weird, complicated thing. You know, for example, I have always felt good when I felt sore. Wow, I have really done something powerful today. Look how sore I am. I'm going to be so strong after that. <laughs> well, I think that goes down to that saying way back when is no pain, no gain. Right. So a person who works out thinks, well, if, I, if I'm not sore, I didn't get a good enough workout. I mean, if I, my bison hurt after workout, I wasn't going hard enough. And in fact, if, if you're getting a lot of pain, that's not a good sign. That's really a bad sign. It may be necessary to a small degree, but when you expand it into like severe pain or even moderate pain, that's, that's telling you you overdid it. I think another thing that people mistake, I know I did for a long time, was that I thought recovery was a thing in itself. And I could just, I could do my training and try hard at that. And then I could do my recovery and try hard at that. And failing at my cover wasn't necessarily a factor in continuing with my training. They're intimately related. And a lot of folks don't realize, I mean, how you establish your training protocol 
determines how you do your recovery. One is directly linked to the other. Without a good exercise program that's well-developed, you're going to have a really hard time with recovery. And I think, you know, the word you used was overtraining. I mean, you have, we have to get to that question. What really is overtraining? What does overtraining mean? And so we'll cover this when we cover recovery about how do you put the two together so your training and your recovery are one and the same thing. They are related directly. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess the last thing uh, that I had on my mind when I was thinking about uh, talking about this with you was, again, back to my own mistakes. If you're an impatient person, you're in trouble. That's absolutely true. Um, so many of us want to take a pill to lose weight or take a pill to get fast. And you see it in the drug culture of uh, sports. Um, and that's not the way it works. Um, it really comes down to planning, timing, um, developing a schedule to get to where you want to go, and then knowing when you're if you're on that track or if you fall off that track. Because we want to get from point A to point B, and we want to get there in least amount of time. And if you don't incorporate proper recovery, you may never get there at all. Right. Unless you've got something you want to add to that list of reasons why people get recovery wrong, why don't we set the stage for the discussion by talking about what recovery is? Why do we actually need to recover from exercise? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I think you have to define the exercise, actually, before we talk about recovery, because, I mean, just plain old walking or, you know, riding a bike nice and easy or, you know, just doing a, a mild sport, so to speak, like just swimming laps or something like that, that's exercise. And because it's not that intense, there's less need for recovery. But what it comes down to is that there's two things happening during exercise. The first is that the muscles are being used, and if they're used in a matter that goes outside the boundaries where they're normally utilized, there's going to be a little bit of muscle damage in that regard. And that muscle damage, whether it be stretching or tearing of the muscle, must be repaired. On the other hand, there's another aspect that many people don't realize, and this has been well covered in the last 20 years. I remember it was almost 30 years ago, I met Dave Deemer, who was the chairman of the department at UC Davis, and he knew I was taking supplements at the time, and he gave me a stack of papers. I mean, it was a stack about a foot high. A paper three, this is Halliday's work from 30 years ago, about antioxidants and free radicals. And what a lot of people don't realize is that when you're exercising, you're using the electron transport chain, which is part of the mitochondria, to develop the energy molecules, essentially, your ATPs. When you create energy, you also generate what are called the free radicals. And these are oxygen species that cause damage. And so as you exercise, you create damage just because of the, the oxygen radical species that are taking place in the body. And so I learned 30 years ago that antioxidants would reduce some of that damage, therefore. So a person who's just exercising and not really paying attention to what they're eating is going to have significantly more damage than someone who's paying very close attention to an antioxidant program on top of their, their program. So the idea being that you have to recover from the actual physical muscle damage caused by the exercise itself and the physical muscle damage caused by the, the free radicals that are generated in the process of exercise. Yeah, I know that I've read some uh, uh, information recently about where they were saying that um, antioxidants are actually reducing the benefit of exercise. And then more recently, people were saying, uh, no, or not much. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure that in our podcast, we're going to touch upon topics that are controversial. And one of the nice things about me as a scientist that you'll discover is that when it comes to have questions about this, I mean, 
people, you, you read in the New York Times or the Washington Post an article about vitamin C causes cancer. And I'm like, what? Where there's, there's 50 years of research suggesting vitamin C is beneficial against cancer patients or for cancer patients. So how does it happen that one paper comes out and suggests something that's against 50 years of research? Because some journalist read the paper and said, oh, that's kind of cool, and then put it out there in the news. And if you read the actual paper, that's not what the paper is saying. And this is so true in science. So as a scientist, when I come across a controversy or something that doesn't seem to make sense, I go back to the original paper and I read the original paper. What was the science team doing? What were the mistakes they were making? Where were the areas for different interpretations of what it was? And that way, you know, on this podcast, you're going to get information that's based upon the actual science and not journalism or a journalist's idea of what the paper said. Because there are so many things out there on the internet that people are writing about, and they're not scientists, they may be journalists, or they may be lay people that know nothing about the field of science. And this may be one paper that's way out in left field that basically has no basis in science. It was really poorly done research. So we gotta look at that from that perspective, that there's a lot of misinformation out there, and we wanna bring the information to the people out in this audience. They can make sense of it, and it's good. It's, it's scientifically bound, it's based upon science and good science. Yeah, it, it's definitely true. And again, talking about mistakes that I've made, you can't learn about science from journalistic headlines. <laughs> so true. Well, glad to have you along for the ride here, Glenn, so you can explain it to us. Glenn, I think that it would be useful for our audience to talk about you know, a little bit about this, why do we need to recover thing? I mean, what is this unusual sequence of events that occurs that allows an athlete to get stronger without injuring themselves. It's it's not so complicated that we can't understand it, but it's it's somewhat complicated. And, and, and I've often uh, described it to people with some success by saying that it's sort of like going up the down escalator. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's constantly trying to put you back where you started. And that's your body's apparent uh, hatred for maintaining a fitness level higher than you need. And you need being based on what your last workout was and how far, how long ago it was. Uh, so if you are not constantly stretching yourself or at least maintaining, then you're losing. Correct. And then secondly, the, when you're doing workouts, you only get stronger if you do things that are hard enough to stress your muscles, to stress your body in a way that it's not used to. However, you really don't want to stress it too much or it will take you so long to recover that you're down at the bottom of the escalator again. Can, it's a fine can... line. That's right. Good point. It's a fine line between working out too hard and not working out hard enough. And it's also true that if you don't work out, like for example, if you just sat in front of the TV set all day long and ate bonbons, well, obviously you're, you're going to lose fitness. And if, if every day you walked, let's say 10 miles every day, I mean, walking would be nothing for you. But if you just sat on, in your desk or sat in front of your computer all day long um, and never walked, walking could be very strenuous by comparison. So your body will adapt to the stress you put upon the body. And in fact, um, we don't realize that, but our bodies are changing every day. A good example, if you don't realize this, but your bone remodels based upon the stresses upon the bone itself. If you don't use your bones, like the astronauts are a great example. They go up in space, there's no gravity, so the bones aren't stressed by the weight of gravity. As a result, they lose calcium in their bone mass because their bones remodel based upon the stress on the bones. That's why one of the key issues, health issues for astronauts is osteoporosis. 
And by the same token, if an athlete just doesn't work out at all for a while, they lose muscle mass. And I've noticed that the older I get, the faster I seem to lose it. It's almost like it breaks down faster than it builds. So this was a key issue as an older athlete is that, number one, we're losing muscle mass and we're losing ability quicker than we would have when we were younger. And it's also harder to rebuild because we don't recover from the intense exercise as well. So these two factors together make it difficult for master athletes. You know, I've heard that master's athletes who have stepped away for too long and they try to get back, they've lost it. And it's very hard to get it back. Uh, so I think that's consistent with what you're saying. Now, something I think is important to address is that a lot of people don't realize the systems that are involved in the actual recovery process itself. Okay, And this is the reason why I can explain. So I always like to give the, the understanding of why things are the way they are. And so when you think about recovery, you know, we think about rest, we think about you know giving your, time, your body time off, so to speak, to recover, but not so much time off that you lose fitness. But the real question is, if you have muscle damage, how does your body fix it? And the best way to think about this is think about when you have an injury. Let's say you cut yourself, right? And so obviously besides the blood, you know, you put a Band-Aid over it, and now you may have at that spike where, that, where a cut may be, the body, the immune system must go in and protect you, number one, from infection. And number two, it must start the healing process. And so the actual cut or damage to the skin creates an immune response, which creates a healing response. In much the same way in the muscles, when you work the muscles over the normal level, in other words, let's say you normally walk a lot, but you don't run, and you start running, now you're stressed the muscle to a greater degree, you're causing an increase in radicals, which causes more muscle damage, and now you have damage to the muscle. That damage to the muscle becomes the trigger that stimulates the immune system, and the immune system starts the healing process. Now, there's a, there's a downside to this that people don't realize. There's a more extreme case of immune healing called delayed onset muscle soreness, or DOMS. And if you're familiar with this term, it's when the, this is, it's, it's kind of funny, I know it well, because... Um, we did a little experiment to demonstrate how DOMS works, but it's what's called eccentric exercise. For example, if you only walk, which is a light, easy exercise, and you start running and you're pounding downhill, for example, the muscle has to stop and break. And every time it stops and breaks, it causes small micro tears in the muscle. Those small micro muscle tears is essentially injury to the muscle. And as a result, the immune system steps in to fix the muscle. But when it does that, it also creates an inflammatory response itself as it creates this healing process. And that inflammatory response causes further muscle damage. So, for example, let's say you went out on a Sunday and went for a long run after not running for many, many years. You're not sore so much on Sunday or Monday, but on Tuesday, you're more sore than you were on, Monday, on Sunday or Monday. Because the immune system, as it goes in to do the repair, creates more damage. And so you have to be aware that when you step over a certain boundary, you create this delayed onset muscle soreness. And you have to make sure you never go that direction because the healing process is much, much longer if you go into that, that deeper realm of damage. Right. And as you let your body dig out of that hole, you're detraining the whole time. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, I think another aspect of this, uh, why, why do we need to recover and, and why is it especially important for an older athlete, relates to injuries to like joints and ligaments. I mean, li ligaments get stronger also um, uh, much more slowly. They're hard to injure, but when you do injure one, you've really made a mistake because it's going to take a while to heal up. Uh, but the this idea of stressing the muscles and the joints and the, the ligaments and then letting them heal and after they heal, they then rebuild stronger than they were before. 
so that you can then stress them again and take another step up. Mm -hmm. uh, if you did it a little too much, it's not just that you might have been too tired, too sore to exercise the next day and now you're losing fitness. Maybe you injured yourself. Now you're really in trouble. You're, it's gonna cost you weeks if you've injured a joint or injured a, a tendon uh, before you'll be ready to go again. Very, very slow to heal, this is true. And like I said, we said earlier, um, the older athlete doesn't heal as well. And this is the key point I'm gonna make here is because your immune system as you get older doesn't work as well. In fact, great example right now, who are the people that are dying of coronavirus? It's the elderly because they don't mount a strong immune response or they have a immune response that creates an inflammatory response, which causes more damage to the lungs. So you think about this, as you get older, your immune system is decaying, like everything else is decaying. And essentially you have to be, pay attention to recovery as far as supporting the immune system. If you think about what things can I do to keep my immune system healthy? So the question now becomes not so much about recovery about, it becomes more about the immune system because that's a crucial part of recovery. So when I talk about recovery in older athletes, I'm talking about a poorer immune response and therefore slower recovery. So if you think about this, then obviously, if you can enhance your immune system to function more effectively, you can speed the healing process and increase your recovery. So key point to remember. You know, and another thing that I've heard related to strengthening the system so that you can recover better in the future relates to base training. If you can get your cardiovascular system strong, then you can recover faster from more work than if you don't have a good cardiovascular system. Oh yeah. Is that true? Absolutely. Well, in fact, think of it this way. Remember if I go back to the, the whole basis of the immune system is that a general basic system, aerobic system of training keeps your immune system healthier up to a point because overtraining Will suppress the immune system. So you can see the double whammy there affects the immune system and therefore recovery and also the overtraining process. So it's true that um, if you have a good base program, a good aerobic base program, where you're doing regular endurance type exercise, that's not super intense. You're going to have a stronger immune response. You're going to have greater cardiovascular fitness. You'll be able to deliver the nutrients to your muscles and bones much quicker because your system's much, much functioning much better as a result. And so all these things, your overall health will be better by having a base system, a certain level of fitness. You know, it just sounds to me, Glenn, and I'd like to get your reaction to this, that the pro athlete is pushing the edge, the bleeding edge every day. 1% difference in their ability is the difference between staying a pro and getting a real estate license. <laughs> they got to do it. And, and they blow it sometimes. You hear about guys that like got mono and these terrible things that really knock them down for like a year even. Uh, well, you know, they had to. They didn't really have a choice. But for older athletes who were trying to turn into wise athletes, including ourselves, the downside to under-recovering or overtraining seems too high compared to the upside of being right on the edge. It seems to me like it just doesn't pay to try to push that edge, that the way to to have longevity in your athletic endeavors is to back off from the edge. What do you think? <laughs> I agree with you, Joe. Unfortunately, that's hard to do. Let's be honest. If you're a competitive individual and you want to do well in the next, say, event, maybe it's the world championships, maybe it's a local national, maybe it's a local race, and you just want to do well. 
and that's important to you. The chances are you're going to push your body harder than you than you really should, and you're going to pay down the road as a result. And this includes, and I, if you, if you are going to think about racing, it especially includes racing because I know in races I always push myself past the point of what was good for me. That's just nature racing. So one of my philosophies now has become I don't race as much as I used to. I race less because the racing is so intense that I have to recover from each race independent of the actual training itself. And many times during the season with one or two races every week, there is no time for training because I can't get enough recovery between races to actually do a training workout. So my race is because of my training sometimes. So rather than trusting yourself to just not go max on that extra race, you've said, I can't be trusted. I'm not signing up. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yes, I've done that too. In fact, it just happened yesterday. Um, yeah, it did for yesterday. Um, there was a US, USA Cycling uh, Swift race I was going to do. And I got my bike, got ready, warmed up. And I thought, you know, I don't feel right about this. I don't feel good about it. I'm not feeling strong. I had I did a race Sunday. I thought, you know, I'm just click. I just canceled it. Yeah, don't be controlled by your ego. I guess that's what that's all about. People try to manage this line of, you know, I'm trying to push myself because I want to get faster, stronger, better in my sport. Yeah, I'm not going to make the Olympic team. That That window has passed or I don't even want to race. I just want to ride with my buddies and I hate when they have to wait for me or something. So I'm desperate to get faster, stronger, better. I want to push it some, but how can I tell, Glenn? How can I tell if I'm ready or not? I mean, you you apparently just have this like internal meter that you said, oh, I'm not ready. Boom, pull the, pull the plug, you're out. How can a person who hasn't got 40 years of racing experience figure out whether they're ready or whether they need to back off or just lower the intensity or shorten the time or, or, or what can they do? Well, as a coach, you know, I, I get a lot of athletes that are pushing the boundaries of what they're capable of. And I often have to tell them, I don't think it's a good idea to do that race. So I think it's time to back off a bit or let's not do this workout today. In fact, many, many times um, I know I'll take one of my athletes to the track and we have a workout plan. He's all ready to go. And I kind of go, you know. I'm going to take this down a notch. And here's the reason why I look at him or I'm talking to him or asking him questions, kind of evaluating where he's at. And I can see that he's not hundred percent here. He had a bad day at work. Maybe he just worked himself to death that day, or he didn't get a good night's sleep last night because of personal problems or whatever it may be. There's something not quite right. I'm not going to push him today because I can see there's something off. Now this requires that an individual who's an athlete has a good sense of what's normal, what's good and what's not good. I mean, if you were to say when I wake up in the morning, am I on a scale of one to 10, am I at a one or am I at 10 or am I at four or five? What's my number for today? I mean, it's very simple. I, I feel great today. I woke up, had a good night's sleep. I felt fantastic, had lots of energy. Let's go, let's do my workout. But let's say you got up, I didn't sleep well last night. I got something going on at work or I got something with the kids. I'm not feeling great. Yeah, I feel a little bit off today. I'm gonna take it down a notch. Rather than doing a four or five work, I'm gonna do a three, four. Maybe I'll do a recovery day today. I really feel I need a recovery day. And how many times I've done this where I just don't feel right today. I'm, I'm going to go for a recovery ride. And the next day, I'm going for another recovery ride. And three days in a row, I've done recovery rides because I just don't feel right. That's me listening or paying attention to my body. It speaks to me. And it will speak to you as well. The problem is that knowing the language of the body, what it's telling you. And it might be sore muscles. Like, like yesterday or Tuesday when I was warming up, my heart didn't feel right. I just didn't feel the way it should. It didn't feel strong. It felt a little bit off. It, it, sometimes I can tell when it feels like it's going to go into atrial fib. I, I'm going to back off. I'm not going to take that chance. So you have to learn to pay attention to these body signs. Sore muscles is one of them. You know, how's my breathing? I mean, uh, it might be a smoky day, or maybe I have a little bit of asthma today or something, or a little bit of congestion in my, in my throat, or 
my energy's off. Man, I'm just not 100%. I feel like oh, my energy's down to about an eight or a nine today. I don't know why I take the day easy that day. So you, you have to really pay attention. It's a matter of being aware to what your body is doing and then knowing when it's not really on its, you know, on its game, so to speak. There's many other tools we can use that are much more technical tools, heart rate variability, um, resting heart rate, things like that sort of thing. But for the overall thing is that how to just ask yourself the simple question. We call it RPE, relative perceived exertion, RPE. So with RPE, I ask the question, okay, what's your RPE today? You know, was that a, was that a 10 or was that a five or was that a three or was it a two? So in the same case, you want to ask yourself, how do I feel today? It's simple. I feel great. I feel, oh, I feel like crap today. Something's off. Well, Maybe it's not a good day to do a really hard workout. It might just drive you to that big hole we talked about earlier. What are these metrics or tools that we could use when we're still trying to develop our own sense of ourselves? Or maybe we just realize that we're bad at listening to anybody, including ourselves. And so we need <laughs> some fact sitting in front of us, whether it's a heart rate or a heart rate variability or or whatever. Uh, you know, it, maybe it's even something you see on your computer while you're doing the workout and you just have to respond to that when you've got a coach your coach would be looking for signs of that and be able to say hey what happened tell me what was going on but you know for people who aren't using a coach you know they need they need some advice so what what we'll promise to do then is to come back on a subsequent podcast and take a deep dive into what are these tools and ways of knowing how your body works. And over time, you can develop your own sense of how you're feeling. And Joe, you made a really good point there. And that point was that, you know, we need some objective way of telling us that maybe we shouldn't race today. And I think as a master athlete, this is part of being a wise athlete, being smart about our training, that we can say, okay, I don't feel right, you know, so I shouldn't race. I'm going to do it anyway, but my resting heart rate or my heart rate variability is way off. I should probably, I probably shouldn't race today. That's smart. It may not be, you know, as far as your goals going, I'm not going to do that event. Well, on the other hand, I'm going to be healthier for longer if I pay attention to the objective signs as well as the old signs that my body's telling me. One thing that we haven't talked about related to recovery that I think is worth at least touching on is the central nervous system. If you're all stressed and all worked up, you're not going to recover very well. So what what is it about the nervous system that affects recovery? Well, you know, it's interesting um, you mentioned that because there's basically two, the nervous system in two modes, what's called the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And um, I remember in medical school, um, Sexton Sutherland was the, was the teacher that day, and he's one of the best teachers in the whole anatomy department. And he gave an explanation of parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. And if I take the time, I'll, let me do it right now. It's just such a good example of how it works. He says, the parasympathetic nervous system is active in this situation. You come home from a long day at work and you're just exhausted. And the wife says to you, oh, honey, come over here. Have a seat in your easy chair. Here, let's put some relaxing music on. Let me get you a glass of wine. Put your slippers on and just lie back and relax. And you lay back and you kind of go, oh, this feels so good and your parasympathetic nervous system is now active. Now, on the other hand, now mind you, I went to UCSF, so I'm in San Francisco, it's late at night, very late, and you're walking across Golden Gate Park, and it's dark, and there's a bit of a mist coming in from the ocean that day, 
and you can tell it's, you know, there's no street lights. It's really dark in the park and you're walking along and you hear something like a twig crack behind you. And you're like, what's that? And you hear a little shuffle in the leaves behind you and you're walking along and suddenly your level of awareness gets higher and higher. And suddenly, and he reaches out of the table and he takes out one of those air horns and he blows the air horn. And I swear every medical student in that place must have jumped about a foot off their chair. <laughs> and he said, and now your sympathetic nervous system is active. And so it's a sharp contrast between these two systems because if your sympathetic system is active all the time, it's not it's focused on what's called the flight or fight the flight or fight response. You're ready to run or you're ready to stand and fight. The pair and when you when you do that, it turns off certain body systems. In one in particular, it shuts off the recovery process. It turns off digestion. It alters blood flow to the muscles so you can fight or run. So you're not going to get recovery if you're always in a stress situation. Now, if you swing over to the other side, when you're kicked back in your easy chair with a glass of wine, which necessarily won't be good for your immune system, but nonetheless, you're still relaxed. The whole point is that now the body diverts blood flow towards the immune system. It diverts blood flow towards the healing process. It allows your body to relax. It let low, the level of stress comes down, and now you can start the healing process. So you really have to remind yourself that high stress, low recovery, low stress, better recovery. And this is one of the five fundamental aspects of what I call the stress phenomena and the immune system as well. We'll talk about that some length as well, too. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I, I think it's an unfortunate naming convention that they have there. Sympathetic goes with fight or flight. Huh. Okay. <laughs> I guess I'll just try to remember that. Maybe I'll make a note. Mm -hmm. When we talk about recovery, I think we're talking about recovering the nervous system as well, not from damage per se, but from just the state that it's in and how do we get it to move into the parasympathetic from the sympathetic. And, and, and as an example, like a real life example, the older I've gotten, the more difficult it, ha it is for me to do high intensity exercise at night. If I work out at night, I'm not going to sleep very well because my body never quite settles down until the next day. Well, that slowed my recovery, I'm sure of it. Yeah, this is true. Now, it's ironic that I would actually um, do super hard workouts and I would sleep better. <laughs> and this Everybody's is the point. different, huh? Exactly. That's the point is that some, I mean, some, I can have coffee late at night. It doesn't affect my sleep at all. Other people have coffee. They're up all night long. So it's important for us to understand and for other people to realize that our bodies are different. We respond differently to exercise and to recovery. And so we have to really fine tune Take the information we're providing and then fine tune how you use that information to become a smarter athlete. I hope everybody is uh, learning as much as I am. Let's just go down this path of you know, you're doing your workouts, you've got them planned out so that you're stressing yourself a little more each time, but not so much that you can't keep working out most days. Uh, but then one day you don't feel good or you're on the bike and something's off. You know, your heart rate is way up the amount of power you're putting out or something else is off. What can you do to deal with that? I mean, you can go ahead and talk about, you know, for that hour, you know, turn around and go home kind of a thing. But what else can we do to say, well, I wonder why I didn't recover. Let me do these things. What would you do? Uh, well, like this happened, like I said, last Tuesday, um, you know, something wasn't right. So I said, okay, I'm not doing the race. So I did my warm down and I was done. Simple as that. So, um, Here's the thing though, a lot of people go online and they'll get a coach's program online. 
and they're going to say, I'm going to do this on Monday and this on Tuesday and this on Wednesday and this on Thursday. And then they come to their Thursday workout and it's a level four, level five, high intensity type workout. And you're just like, ah, oh, I feel like crap today. But, well, it's my workout day and they do that workout. And then they find that they, Friday they feel worse, Saturday they feel terrible. And now they get caught in that, that deep hole of overtraining. It's very simple. When you have a day, especially as a master athlete, now we're a pro would be different, but for a master athlete who doesn't recover well, you can't go into those holes because you won't come out of them easily because we, we're slow to recovery. So when that happens, they just, I say, okay, I'm taking the day off. And I've done that many times. I'm just taking the day off today. Or I, I might ride and do a recovery ride, or I might not ride at all. I might get off the bike. And there are times I need time off the bike, away from the bike. You know, it might be time to read a good book, go for a walk, you know, go skating or something else, different form of exercise, just get my mind, put it someplace else. And many times the irony is that I go into the lab, it gets the work done, the lab, because that took my mind completely off the bike. And so my body got, my brain got rest from the bicycle, my body got rest from the exercise, and I was better off overall as a result. Yeah, that makes sense. But you know, a good point you made earlier, though, is that, you know, you may have an off day, and you have no idea why you're having an off day. Like, you know, it could be something that's very obvious. I had a fight with the wife today, or my kids are just stressing me out, or the job is just killing me, whatever. But you might have days where you did everything right. And you get to the start line, essentially to your workout, and you're like, I just don't feel right. I just, something's off. And you don't, and it might've been something you ate. You don't know. And you sometimes cannot identify what it is. You know, it might be that just over the last couple of days, your body's not recovering. You're maybe not getting enough sleep than you thought you were. Maybe it was something you ate. You know, you don't know what it is. But I think anytime you have one of those moments, you kind of go, you pause, you kind of go, hmm, something's not right. And that's when this, that's what the wise athlete says. Okay, today is a recovery day. I'm not going to do the workout I was supposed to do. I'll tell my coach, sorry, coach, didn't feel right. And if coach is smart, he'll say, good move. That was wise. Yeah. The next podcast, where we'll kind of take a deep dive into, you know, the, the specifics of how to track your biometrics and uh, and I think that we can even get into more detail about what are the emerging you know, tools or techniques that people are discovering that can help, or maybe they help some people, but not others. And anyway, we'll provide that kind of a level of detail. But for this discussion, there are, there are plenty of things that we know, things that people do all the time that slows their recovery. And you know, for the people that don't know that that's a bad thing, we can help them right now. So I, I would like to talk a little bit about what are the common things that people do and it slows down their recovery. And then what are the kind of the old school things that you can do for enhancing your recovery? Uh, you know, I, I mean, as an example, I, when I, every day I do exercise, I then do things to my joints that would otherwise hurt or my muscles that maybe would get sore or maybe they are sore. And, uh, and I found that it helps me to be recovered the next day and whether it's placebo or it's a real effect, I don't care. It helps me. That's what I'm looking for. So let's start with what do people do wrong? Good point. Okay. What do people do wrong when it comes to recovery? Let's go back to the training side. And I think the flip side of recovery is overtraining. Uh, because if you overtrain or train when you're having a, an off day, for example, or go really hard and do a race when you really should have done that race kind of thing, you're going to put your body into a situation where you create more damage that your body can recover from. And that's going to take more time to recover. So the first thing is that they overtrain, which means 
they and they don't recover enough for that level of training. So the term we use in in uh, in recovery and training is the idea of periodicity, and I do it on a scale of one to five. We're basically a zero or one's recovery days, and two or three are more milder exercise. Three and four are more moderate, and then four and five are much more high intensity. And so basically, I I make my numbers fluctuate. If I have a day that's a four or five, like a race day or a really high intensity day, it might require two or three or more days, depending on my body and who I am, to recover from that exercise. So if I race on, let's say, a Sunday, I might not get into a real ride again until Wednesday or Thursday. So sometimes we have to think about, you know, how are we planning our program so we have enough rest days in the program we have that will account for the fact that I might be over 60 or over 70 or over 50, for example, versus some young teenager. So that's one of the mistakes people make is they overtrain and they don't allow enough time for recovery or they don't, they follow their coach's program to the T and don't pay attention to the fact that they had a bad day and they didn't recover from that previous workout and they have a high intensity workout coming up the next day. You've got to learn to say, okay, enough, back it down a bit. Let's get recovered first before we do the next hard workout so I can actually get stronger. And then there's so many other areas in which we can touch upon, you know, the stress factor, the diet factor, um, the sleep factor, all these things, I'll go back to that point before, affect the immune system, and the immune system is key to the recovery process. So we'll probably do a deep dive into, you know, diet. We'll do a deep dive into stress. I mean, there's some things we didn't talk about earlier about how stress affects the actual brain itself and makes you less able to deal with stress as a result. Because there's certain neurotransmitter things that take place in the brain that remodel the brain, essentially. So you don't have a good response to stress. PTSD is a good example of this. Essentially, it's like a milder form of PTSD in an athlete. Let's just make a list here. And, and we'll hit we'll hit them more deeply when we have uh, the, this next podcast. But, I mean, what I hear, what who am I kidding? What I do sometimes is, <laughs> you know, I'm always trying to watch my weight. I mean, when you're riding a bike uphill, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to be any heavier than you have to be. My ability to manage my weight is burning calories when I exercise, right? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if I, if, if my diet is for 2000 calories and I exercise a thousand calories, well, that's a big player in the mm-hmm. equation. But if I don't eat enough after a hard workout, Surely that is slowing down my recovery. Well, that's a really good point. Diet is directly related to exercise. And, you know, as I said earlier, if you remember, I mentioned the idea of the, of the free radicals. Not having sufficient antioxidants means that the actual increase in metabolic rate is going to create more damage in your body, which means you have to recover from that damage. I mean, there's some good evidence now that suggests the amount of metabolic damage that takes place in the average individual on an average day, and this is from Dr. Ames at the University of California, Berkeley, was phenomenal the amount of damage take place in the, in the actual, this was the heart muscle tissue we're looking at. Yeah. And if you think about this, you can act, they've actually measured in an athlete, okay, after exercise, the levels of, of troponins. And troponins are muscle protein, when, when muscle protein breaks down, it produces a protein called troponins. And you can measure that in the blood. After an intense workout, they find higher levels of troponins in the blood, which means that the actual process of working the heart muscle harder damages the heart muscle. Isn't that the same uh, biosignature of having had a heart attack? Uh-huh. Exactly. In fact, it does. It's the same signature. Not as severe. Obviously, when, you, when blood flow to the heart is interrupted, maybe by an infarct of some sort, the heart tissue, the muscle actually dies. 
And when it dies, it releases the troponins in the blood. That's one of the key indicators of a heart attack is that there are elevated troponin levels in the bloodstream. But they see those same elevation, not quite as high, in athletes after exercise, especially intense exercise, which is suggesting that intense exercise can damage the heart. We spoke about your situation, and I've heard of a, a lot of guys who've gotten older who have these arrhythmias now. Mm -hmm. uh, as I understand it, that comes from the scar tissue that formed over a long time of damaging the heart a little bit, doing these heart exercises, and now there's electrical nerve impulse dysfunction. This is true. We could do a deep dive into just the whole process of atrial fibrillation, because I know a lot about it. Yes, Having exactly. gotten myself and understanding things you can do to prevent it, I, I believe now there are things I didn't do that I wish I had done. Um, thank God we had the surgery and I'm better off now, but there's still issues. Yeah. Um, there's still times when I realized, like happened on Tuesday, heart didn't feel right. So I'm not going to do the exercise. I'm going to take a break. Give my, give my heart a rest that day. So that's a promise. We'll go back and touch on arrhythmias for athletes. Mm -hmm. uh, so another thing that I did until I started tracking my sleep was I always thought that one drink at night would be good, right? You know, it, 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 you could even find articles that say one drink for women and two drinks for men every day is better for you than being a teetotaler. Uh, well, you know, I don't know whether that's true or not, and I bet you do. But the problem that I had was that when I drank alcohol, and then I was looking at my sleep quality, it wrecked my sleep quality. So I wasn't getting the recovery that I wanted. I wasn't feeling as well as I do now that I don't drink. I mean, I'm, I'm not a teetotaler, but I, I rarely drink and I never drink around my hard workouts. That's a really good point. Um, alcohol and athletes. And it's true, there's some research suggesting that you know, one drink or two drink can't hurt you. But there's a couple of things that alcohol does, and we'll probably do a deep dive into this as well too. Um, there's, let me mention three things in particular. The first one is that alcohol is, is a toxin. The body takes it as a toxin, and it means the liver must detoxify the alcohol, okay? So, but what it also does, and this is really key, because I know, you know, if I don't drink, but very, very rarely, and if I do have a drink, it affects me for a week sometimes or more. And one of the things that it does is that it damages the microbiome. Now, the microbiome, we go into the whole section here of the GI tract. We'll talk about this topic as well, too. But the microbiome are the bacteria that live inside your gut. And the alcohol will alter that ratio of different types of bacteria that live there. And that can have profound effects upon your endurance, your recovery, and your immune system. Not to mention the fact that alcohol is a three-carbon sugar. It's one of the simplest forms of sugar that there is. And there's a whole study that was done on different types of sugars, from simple sugars to more complex sugars. And the research is clearly indicating that simple sugars are not good for us. So three and six carbon sugars are much worse than the more complex carbohydrates. So when it comes to carbohydrates, you don't want simple sugars in your system. You want the more complex sugars for carbohydrate source over simple sugars. And that's a whole nother program we can talk about how that affects the immune system. Well, the only other item that I've got, I mean, I mentioned already uh, exercising late in the day, and you said that that works great for you. And I said, that works terrible for me. So the last thing I was gonna mention was water, uh, not drinking enough water. What do you think about that one? Does that affect recovery? Wow, you just hit upon one of my one of my deficiencies. <laughs> I'll be totally honest with my viewers or my my listening audience. I'm terrible when it comes to water. I really am. I've been told, oh yeah, you're supposed to drink what was it, eight glasses of water a day? You know, what eight times that? Sixty four fluid ounces. 
I am lucky if I get to maybe a glass of water a day, literally. I mean, I just don't drink enough water and I should be drinking more water. There's no question about it. My chiropractor recommends it. Everyone else recommends it. But something I've discovered about water though, at least for me, this is my personal experience. When I drink a lot of water, I spend an awful lot of time in the bathroom. So I know, and this is just, this is only my personal take. It's not scientifically backed up at all, but here's my take. Your body knows homeostasis. It knows when it's hydrated and when it's not hydrated. If I drink lots of water, I spend a lot of time dumping that water. So it almost tells me, so my body is in balance. And the more water I drink, the more I, the more I basically go to the bathroom. It's very simple. And people say, oh, you're just clearing your system out. And I go, well, really, when I drink more water, I feel bloated all the time. So my logic has been, you know, I drink when I'm thirsty, even though that's not totally correct, but I drink when I'm thirsty. And I do get my fair amount of fluids if I think that I do drink. I don't drink a lot of water, but I get some water in per day as a rule. That's yeah. just my thing. But no question about it. I need more water. I need yeah. to drink more water. Just to, That's one of my fallacies, one of my mistakes. All these topics are a podcast in and of themselves. And I'm sure we're going to bring some really cool, high-level science to the listening audience that they're not going to get anywhere else. I'm excited about that. Yeah, me too. Me too. That was the dumb things that lots of people do, including me, that slow recovery. What are the basic good things to do? You know, I mean, I've always been told things like get home and put your feet up, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, what mm -hmm. are, what do you think? What's the five or six best things? You should just always do them. You know, it doesn't cost you too much, but it's probably helping. Listen to your mother. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, what did she say when you were younger? Eat your fruits and vegetables, you know, get a well-balanced diet, get proper sleep, you know, take care of yourself, lower your stress level, all that kind of stuff. It's all simple stuff. It's common sense knowledge that we just don't do. It applies to all of us, including myself. I make all those mistakes myself as well. I'm not, I'm not immune from making those mistakes. So the key thing is that, you know, once we get past the basics, if your basics are, your foundation is good, your diet is good, you have a good supplementation program, you've got good rest, you're drinking your water, all those things. Then there's what I call the accessory forms of exercise, of, of recovery. You know, what about the massage? What about acupuncture? What about ice, you know, hot baths, cold baths, you know, hot tubs? There's so many different ways or modalities of recovery that are kind of out there. I mean, there's everything, you know, hyperbaric chambers, you know, um, what do you call the, um, the Normatec type boots for your legs, the pressure compression type massage, percussion type massage. You know, there's so many things out there for recovery. We could spend hours in podcasts on these different things and cover each one in detail. It comes down to common sense. It really does. You know, I mean, after a hard workout, rest, kick, put your feet up, take a break, you know watch a good movie or something like that. Give your body some rest. Take your mind off the racing or the riding type stuff. Defocus. Spend time, you know, go out for a nice, you know, dinner and a movie with the wife, you know. Yeah, Take yeah. the kids out to the playground, have some fun. Get your mind off the sport and do something else that's different, completely different. So when you're negotiating your training schedule with the family, don't forget about negotiating time for recovery. Because if you have to give that up in order to be a decent person, then you've wrecked your training plan. Is that what you're saying? Uh, that's part of it, true. In, indeed, yes. I've tried everything. Uh, and it's so hard to know what works. And probably some of it is foolish and some of it works for some people. Things that I really believe in, the fact that I believe in them is probably important to the fact that they work for me with the placebo effect. Uh, but the, the range of things is broad, you know, including 
you know, mechanisms that you can use and temperatures that you can use and uh, things to do with your mind, like, you know, meditation, uh, things to eat and maybe even timing of things that you eat and does it matter or not, uh, including electrolytes and other supplements that if, if you're a normal American, you see a thousand advertisements a day promising everything from, you know, improved memory to bigger muscles, uh, et cetera. So, you know, surely there are some things that actually work and some things that maybe work some of the time for some of the people and some things which, as far as anybody can tell, is a lie. I think it's important for us to address things from the perspective of what is real, what is scientifically based, what is more conjecture, what is more anecdotal. And I really want to bring good science to this podcast. The idea being that when someone says, oh, yeah, this supplement works great for recovery, and I'm kind of going like, well, what's it based upon? What concept, what ideas? Like, you'll see sometimes supplements you can buy over the counter or on the online that contain it's, oh, the most powerful recovery product ever made for muscles and body body. And you kind of go, okay, what is this product? And I break it down. It has these five components in it. What's the research say about each of these things independently? Oh, it says good stuff here, good stuff there. This is good. This is good. So they basically took all the ingredients, dumped it in a pill and said, here, take this. Is there research behind it? Well, for each individual component, there might be. But what about them all working together? We don't really know. So the idea being we can get to the reductionist theory of taking these down to their bare essentials, asking how they all function, how they all work. And then say, will this benefit you? And I always come down to the bottom line is this. If I'm taking a product and I can't tell the difference, I can't see a difference, I don't see it in performance or in feeling, I'm wasting my money. Well, Glenn, we've covered a lot of ground here today, including leaving a couple of flags on the ground for us to come back and touch on. And to summarize the other things that we are going to hit on, we're going to do a deep dive on the recovery tool and techniques, including... You know, we can talk about things we do uh, that we think work. Uh, you know, you'll get into the research, uh, including what are the new things. We talked about maybe doing one on alcohol, you know, diet, microbiome. Mm -hmm. We'll do that. And then the last one that we said we would hit was heart health and arrhythmias, mm -hmm. uh, just given your personal experience. Anything else the, that you can think of that we wanted to come back and hit on a separate episode? We're going to have a lot of topics to cover. We're going to well, keep... that's true. Yeah, we got a lot of material. In fact, we're going to discover topics along the way where you go, we should really pay more attention to that topic and we'll just develop into a podcast. Yes, absolutely right. This has been a great chat. I feel smarter. Mm -hmm. Indeed. And that's the goal that even just one person right now, whoever's listening to this audience, is going to be a lot wiser over time and they'll be able to take their training to a whole new level and develop to the athlete they want to be without overtraining and not getting good recovery. Excellent. I've enjoyed it, as always. Good to chat with you, Glenn. You have a good night. All right, Joe. Good talking to you. Thank you so much for listening to our discussion about recovery and why it is so hard to get it right. If you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, and you can sign up for our newsletter. And if you're on social media and you enjoyed this episode, please post about it. It would be a big help. Glenn and I will be back soon with more details about recovery techniques and tools. Hope to see you then. Bye. Thank you.